And I think the next 10 years, five years at least, is going to be the epoch of high inflation, high interest rates. Inflation effect of the war is more in Europe, most pronounced in Europe than yeah. anywhere else in the world, I think. And it's been an earning season where quality stocks have delivered. And my sense is that people sitting on good qualities, equities in their portfolio, they would take a lot uh, of uh, satisfaction. Welcome to podcast number four now, yeah. guys, I think. It's been a long ride and uh, I think we've got ourselves a nice rhythm. And, Absolutely. Uh, got a lot of interesting things to talk about today. Look forward to it. These conversations with you are extremely enlightening and um, brings out a lot of thoughts at my end as well. <clears throat> and uh, hopefully it introduces new thoughts to the users as well. That's the whole idea. We add value uh, to their thought process and perhaps give them a few ideas as to how they should manage their portfolio and eventually their uh, entire savings plan. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I guess let's start with the first thing that we have to talk about today. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think a lot of interesting news uh, from the macroeconomic side. Yes, big announcements today, uh, last week rather, right? Yeah. On the inflation front. Yeah. So tell me about it, yeah. So I think, uh, Two notable pieces of information. Uh, both were surprises. I think we had a surprise from the US Consumer Purchase uh, Index, which is effectively measures the price of goods for consumers in the US. US uh, inflation, yeah. Yeah, which came in at 6.4% wow. uh, versus wow. an expectation of 6.2%. I mean, you go back, you know, three, four years at 1%, 2% inflation, and now it's 6.4%. Who would have thought of this? Thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And India as well. Uh, we had a surprise at 6.5% where the street expected about 6%. So I think we have inflation surprises on both the US side as well as the India side. That's not good news, is it? No, no, no. But it's it's expected. You know, I mean, this is the... We're, in, we're, we're effectively in a whole new epoch of the global economy. I think for the last uh, 10 years. So if we go back to 2010... From 2010 to 2021, really, we were in the epoch of low inflation and low interest rates. And I think the next 10 years, five years at least, is going to be the epoch of high inflation and high interest rates. And mm -hmm. uh, that's the really interesting. I mean, it's a, it's a really, really interesting place for the global economy. Because if you think, if you just think about like the three big economic spheres of influence, right? You have the US, you have Europe, and you have uh, Asia, <coughs> China, Japan, South Korea, Taiwan. Now, the US for the longest time was, you know, enjoying low interest rates, low inflation. And that's why they inflated the economy with uh, QE2 and QE1 and all those. Uh, yeah. And that's what allowed them to sort of uh, spend as much money as they did and print as much money as they did during the pandemic. But they've obviously overdone, right? They've obviously, obviously overdone it. And uh, I think through mid-2021, you saw inflation picking up in the US quite substantially. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that's, I think that's peaked, uh, I believe it peaked around June 22, and it's been falling since, but... Uh, then we have this number again, but... Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's this number is off the peak, right? But it's still relatively high. And if you look at the components of this inflation, it's, re it's really food inflation and energy inflation, right? Energy inflation emanating out of the Russia-Ukraine war. Uh, as well as food inflation emanating out of the Russia-Ukraine war. Um, and uh, that's going to stay very stubborn. But even if the war gets over, you think it will stay? 
So, I mean, there's there's two different components to inflation here, right? The first, the, the really big component, I mean, again, we'll go back to our three big phases of economic inference. The first is the US. Now, in the US, inflation was picking up by, I guess, mid-2021. By April 21, inflation had started picking up. And uh, that's because of too much money pooling. That's the overexpenditure. Yeah, that's pandemic. not going to go away. Yeah. Whether the war is there or not, I think. Exactly. Yeah. They've inflated their balance sheet a lot, and that's going to take a long time before it normalizes. So that's that's where inflation in the U.S. sphere of influence comes from. The European sphere of influence, okay, they inflated their balance sheets, but that's because they needed to keep interest rates stable across across the entire euro bloc. You know, they can't have borrowing rates in Greece, you know, three times that of what it is in Germany. So that's where they had to inflate their balance sheets, uh, and then obviously the wall shock. I think the war effect is more, inflation effect of the war is more in Europe, most pronounced in Europe yeah. than anywhere else in the world, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. Their supply chains have all got completely yeah. messed up. Yeah. But, you know, supply chains is, is, and that's where the APAC phenomena comes. The geopolitical tensions in, in China, uh, that's, that's all because of, you know, the supply chain disruption and that's what's driving inflation over there. In, in particular as well, I think China's reopened their economy. And that's why you have uh, you know, a surge in consumer spending, which I think every economy experiences yeah, post-lockdown. We did this as well. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we're just in this high inflation, high interest rate economy. So what does that mean for equities? I think that's a very important, um, I would say, phenomenon. You know, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this more in the context of Indian equities, right? So you have three really interesting phenomena taking place simultaneously. First, you have higher inflation, but, you know, not runaway inflation. India in particular, you know, we're at 6.5%. And, you know, our inflation has generally stayed between the 4 to 6% range. Yeah, that's true. So it's not crazy. And way we are used to dealing with yeah. high inflation, or mid to high inflation yeah. as well, yeah. So we have relatively high inflation, you know, across, mm. across the board. That's right. Uh, we have a slowdown in growth globally. So I think the world is, everyone's saying it's going to enter a recession. We don't know if it's actually going to enter a recession. Uh, but India is not really facing a recession. Yeah, but the export sector will definitely get impacted. I am not, I, I would not. China would, plus one? Oh, no, no. I, I don't think it's China plus one. I don't think it's a China plus one phenomenon at all. I think this is an interest rate and currency exchange rate phenomenon. So if you go back to start of 2020, uh, I think the rupee was at 73 to the, to, the, to the dollar. We're now at 83, something like that to the dollar. That's so true. I think our exports are going to get protected by uh, the rupee. rupee's depreciation. So I, I would, but you know, going back to my original point, um, we have this we have this environment where you have you know reasonably high inflation, and reasonably high inflation always gives firms pricing power because they can raise their prices That's to true. justify that. There's reasonably high interest rates globally to fight the, that high inflation. So the cost of capital is going to stay high. And uh, in India especially, I think we're expecting growth of 6.3 to 6.7% over the next couple of years, which is not the blowout numbers of 7, 8%, you know. But still adequate. It's adequate. So you, you have this scenario where there's some growth in the economy, there's pricing power firms, and firms that are inefficient with their capital are going to be paying a very high price for that capital. 
So it's going to be a stock picker's paradise. Wow. <laughs> if you can find the right scripts and you enter it at the right time, and you know, if the companies you're invested in can consistently generate profit and deploy their capital efficiently, over the next two to five years, they're going to be blowout winners. So I think that certainly uh, supports uh, my view that there's uneven growth. And whenever there's uneven growth, then obviously there are going to be a few winning sectors and specific companies within those winning sectors and then others are going to struggle. And I think this time's earnings season is clearly a reflection of this uneven growth which we are seeing in the economy. And we'll come down to that. But um, I think it's a very interesting point you made that there's going to be a stock pickers market for the next, uh, at least uh, into the foreseeable future for the next one year or so. And that makes our lives very interesting and uh, hopefully uh, we will give very, very many interesting stock ideas uh, to our uh, all the all our various followers. Yeah. So why don't we dig into the earnings season? Absolutely. Right? It's yeah. been a, broadly speaking, I think it's been a pretty good earnings season for for Indian corporates. Is that yeah? It's been say? a it's been a good earnings season, and it's been an earnings season where quality stocks have delivered. And my sense is that people sitting on good quality equities in their portfolio they would take a lot uh, of uh, satisfaction with the way this earning season has played out. And as we get granular about each company, each sector, uh, we will tell you how um, clearly this has been a pretty decent earning season and many new ideas coming out of it. But I always look at an earning season in terms of when I enter it, did I have more ideas than when I'm exiting it? And I feel excited that when I exit this earning season, I have a lot many more uh, stock ideas and I have many more uh, companies which are delivering good growth than when I thought before. Great. So why don't we dig into some of these ideas? I was thinking, you know, we can go sector by sector. Yes, absolutely. Let's go with the biggest one, banks. Okay. So I think IDFC first uh, stood out to me in terms of, you know, really, really quality earnings. Absolutely. And the HDFC bank is a bellwether. But uh, how did the sector do overall and you know, any, any other underperformers or outperformers that you identified? So these are absolute blue sky scenarios for the banking industry. Uh, Uday Kotak has said this is a Cinderella time for the banking sector. And I can't agree with him more because on one hand you have the credit growth coming through because economy is picking up. So there's more and more uh, demand for lending credit products. And whenever you lend, obviously the fee-based income also goes up because that's when uh, you tend to under fee around it. And the biggest cost for the bank, that's the NPAs. I think that's very well under control because they have provided for all the old NPAs and the new NPA cycle hasn't started. So we are seeing record profits across the board from all the banks and NBFCs. And uh, doesn't matter what the background was, doesn't matter how you fared over the crunch time or the crisis time in the banking industry. But right now, I think almost every bank in NBFC is just raking in the mullah over there. And clearly, it's a challenge more in terms of raising resources to lend, keeping your balance sheet strong, rather than trying to, you know, find new borrowers and trying to um, you know, maintain those net interest margins. So it's these are great times. And we, of course, said IDFC First Bank, I think on all parameters, uh, especially I like the fact about their 43% deposit growth. Uh, there's a war for deposits over there Absolutely. from banks and BFCs. Absolutely. And the winners are going to be the ones which can uh, raise the most money. Exactly. And because I mean, bank also, yes. the most deposit growth, you can lend the most money. Lend exactly. the most money. 
the largest balance sheet. Absolutely. That's so where your money is getting. And made. these are great operating business, operating leverage businesses, because their costs remain the same, and if they are able to lend more and earn higher interest income or other net interest income, a lot of it does flow to the bottom line. So very very positive on banks, and I think. I have a uh, question here though. Mm. Yes, banks seems to have done very badly. Yeah, I think it's partly base effect. And some of the bank uh, we thought will get into a rhythm, but uh, not yet so. But there's a very important development in Yes Bank, and a large part of their NPA they are transferring to asset reconstruction company. So that will remove a big burden on the balance sheet. Uh, but it's a good bank. I wouldn't write it off, and uh, keep it under the watch. Maybe it will uh, you know start to display better results. But uh, what was um, I think. Um, most noticeable is that the psu banks uh they continue to lose market share but nonetheless their performance was exceptionally good and the trading rally i think can get sustained post uh, these numbers which we have seen and then coming to the nbfcs i think across the board nbfcs did very well see nbfcs they lend to the housing sector <clears throat> they lend to the automobile sector and they lend to retail for personal loans credit card appliances so on and so forth and across all their various credit products they have seen very good demand for growth and um, so far i think they have adequate bank limits and other ins- debt instruments because of which they've been able to grow their balance sheet two companies come to mind over here over there bajaj finance came with very good set of numbers <clears throat> and so did cholamandalam some of the smaller ones uh, which had been i would say completely uh, uh, stressed out during the ilfs crisis the likes of mnm finance lnt finance uh, punawala finance i think they all also turned around and displayed very good numbers but i'm not very hopeful i'm not that enthused because i like to buy banks and nbfc which are done well when the times are bad when it is crunch time and these companies certainly disappointed on that count so thumbs up to the banking sector great set of numbers good earnings visibility and i would say that 35 40% of your portfolio has to be in the banks or in nmbfcs okay so let's move on from the banking sector right we know they are uh, they are on a great wicket absolutely let's go to something that's maybe a little bit more difficult for the consumers to understand capital goods um mixed bag of results i'd say uh how would you interpret the results across the capital goods sector See, I think that uh, capital goods also is uh, a sector which did very well in this earning season. Expectedly so, we have been tracking their order book position across the board, uh, across all segments of the capital goods industry. We have seen higher and higher order book, and uh, that is uh, manifested in excellent numbers coming through from these companies. Now, there are really basically the biggest engine for capital goods. is the spending the government does on infra state as well as center and that clearly has uh, been extremely strong and going forward also post budget numbers we expect the capital spending in the economy to pick up but more importantly varun we are seeing after many years a pick up in private capex so i'm not sure so much about uh, large steel plants but uh, you know new cement plants coming up new pharmaceutical plants coming up automobile auto ancillary they are <coughs> expanding at a decent decent space all agro related uh, equipment industry they are expanding capacity 
chemicals is a big, uh, you know, I would say, uh, engine as when it comes to additional capacity. So that's driving a lot of uh, demand for uh, capital goods. And I think every single company within the capital goods space is sitting on a very book, big order book position. And within the capital goods, let's just go a bit more granular. So we have the infrastructure builders, the Larson and Tobros, the NCC, ITD Cementation, the um, Lib Bilcon, IRB Infra. These are the ones which are setting up the roads and the ports and the airports and the metros within the country. They are sitting on massive order book position. And then there are these engineering electrical companies, ABB, Siemens, Honeywell, um, Triveni Engineering, uh, many such companies, you know, uh, Elecon Engineering, uh, which, which do actual Thermax, which actually, uh, you know, design and deliver the equipment which goes into plant and machinery. And they also, I think, have done exceedingly well. So I would say that it's been a great uh, season for capital goods. Last season, they were impacted by higher raw material prices, but steel prices have flattened out and they've passed on some cost increases as well. And these are great times. I think I can, I can when I'm looking at these companies, I see them pick and choose their orders. So there was, there's no stress that we have to keep our factories going and take orders at any price. So what you will see in the next two, three quarters is higher operating profit margins and better return ratios for the capital goods industry. And, you know, these are two very important industries, banking and capital goods. If they do well, then they provide a trigger to the, the larger so the economic economy. forces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's interesting. I think I, uh, I hadn't picked up that private capex is, uh, is rebounding quite yeah, strongly. Absolutely. I think every company we speak to, they are looking at expanding capacity. And uh, they haven't expanded capacity for the past seven, eight, ten years or so. And demand is catching up over there. So I think that uh, new data centers being set up, um, new airports coming up, new chemical plants. Uh, there's so much happening in the economy now. Any winners, any any companies in particular in the capital goods space that you think are must-buys or stocks to watch? See, Varun, we covered Praj Industries. Again, a disclosure here that we and our clients are invested. So uh, basically, India is going from 10% to 20% ethanol blending. That means we need to double our distillery capacity. And Praj Industry clearly, I think, is a company in the right place at the right time if you want to write this particular investment theme. So that did exceptionally well. Of course, Siemens ABB also delivered excellent set of numbers, but they're very expensive. And I don't think that uh, a lot of uh, large institutional investors or retail investors are very much invested in the likes of Siemens ABB, Honeywell. They're there, they're good, but they're too just too expensive on a price to earnings multiple basis. Okay. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's run through this because we've got a yeah, long list of companies. So the, the third, third which comes to mind, of course, the big engine for India is the automobiles. And uh, automobile companies also like banks, I would say they are having a fabulous moment in history. Uh, we are seeing superb volume growth coming through from them. And this entire trend towards premiumization means that their average selling prices are also going up. They were also impacted by higher uh, raw material prices, but now that's flattened out. I think the semiconductor shortage also. That's also over and done, right? Done with, you yeah. don't see that in the papers at all. Recently, I saw that Berkshire Hathaway has substantially trimmed their stake in TSMC. Is it so? Yeah. Okay. So I think we then they don't see good prospects for semiconductor, which is good for news sure. for which is, which is good, good news, news for everyone. It's good news yeah. for capital goods. It's good news for electrical goods. Good news for automobiles. Absolutely. That whole uh, that supply chain crunch seems to have sort of worked itself out. 
that's true. So autos are doing exceedingly well. New model launches are driving growth over there. Margins also pretty much uh, maintained. Commercial vehicles also, I think, I've seen yes. a pickup in sales. Again, economy picking up so automatically. Yeah. And these are and the auto industry has been in the doldrums for almost six seven years for some reason or the other. So pent up demand, overall, uh, you know, upcycle in the industry. I think all of those factors are um, coming into play. Yeah. So very positive over there. I think there's a really nice interplay here between banks, automobiles, and capital goods, yes. right? You've seen capital goods pick up, private capex is picking up. So consumer vehicles, uh, commercial vehicles, uh, sales are picking up. Sale vehicle sales pick up. So there's more financing needs. You know, bank loan books grow. It's a nice. Uh, and then there's real estate, which is a, another great growth engine for the economy and a big uh, sector for the banks to lend. And mind you, I think almost every single real estate company is uh, setting up new projects at a frenetic pace. I think we uh, we, we spoke about Godridge Properties as yes, well earlier, yes, uh, yes. Uh, which is had, I think, record uh, sales, record bookings. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, another great company, but even the other larger companies, Shoba, DLF, Macrotech, they're all coming with exceptionally good numbers. Prices have been moving up in the last three, four years or so. And... Uh, these companies are extremely focused on execution and delivery. So it's slick marketing, deliver the project in time, in the price, and just get the cash flows going. That's the mantra. And I love that mantra for the real estate industry. I think they're doing a great job in terms of managing the balance sheet. In the past, uh, every time the biggest problem with real estate companies was they would take on too much of land bank and on too much, take too much of debt. And then they would not be able to service that debt. And these companies then went into big trouble. So I think real estate also very good set of numbers and did very well. I think all the companies, all the sectors you're talking about are all done very well. But uh, one thing which where there is stress and a large sector, Varun, is software. Software. Okay. That's the export stress that you're talking about. Exactly. Exactly. So you alluded that uh, there are going to be recessionary trends. And that's certainly going to affect uh, uh, spending on uh, IT. And therefore, I think software companies is one uh, area where we saw mild disappointments. Now, you know, the interesting thing is that we went into this earnings season with very low expectations for the software companies. Uh, they came up at just about at par with what the street was expecting slightly better. Some of the companies like Infosys, uh, they even upped the guidance, which was very well received. So I think uh, the biggest, uh, uh, I would say, um, contribution of the software companies is the way their CFOs have managed the investor expectation. So sometimes even a bad result doesn't look so bad if you've managed the expectation well. But, I mean, I... I guess I, software is something that I, I'd like to dig into a little bit further because I is this a transient phenomenon or do you think this slowdown? In you tell me, I, should I be asking you? You are the economy expert. I think your US economy has a soft landing and then starts to pick up and the same is true for Europe. And I think the software company is in good shape, no? Uh, yeah, well, I wouldn't disagree. Obviously, if their markets, if their customers are growing, obviously their, their order books are going to grow. But one trend, I, I, don't, I don't know if this is already come to pass or we're still expecting this to happen as uh, as i think the west economies europe uk us slow down they're going to have cost pressures 
And one of the biggest spends globally for corporates is IT. One of the biggest ways to cut that spend is to offshore it India. Now, whether they offshore it by using you know their own units Captives, in yeah. India or whether they offshore it to IT service companies, that that I think is is yet to be seen. But surely that you know that off that phenomenon of offshoring once again might. I guess boost growth or, or protect them. It's true. Them. It's true. I mean, there is some element of truth in it, but then when I look at the numbers, I look at the management commentary. Clearly, sales cycles are lengthening, and it is thus definitely getting challenging. Furloughs have been higher this quarter, so while it is true and some benefit will be there, but it's not that uh, you know you can say that software companies for them business is as usual. No, it is not. But but you know on the flip side, right? the other thing that was holding them back was consistently higher salaries for employees now with a softening in demand globally that's right some amount of cost pressure will come down yeah but you know one thing interesting in software varun is that there are certain sectors within the software space certain verticals where it spending is just not slowing down where massive disruption is taking place media gaming uh automobiles because of evs and yeah, autonomous driving yeah. and there are certain pockets like this tech spending where the where the companies over there have to spend for survival otherwise they'll just be finished yeah yeah and indian companies focused on those verticals have done very very, very well and i want to name a few tata alexi kpit cummins persistent systems i think these companies follow exceptionally good strategy focused on the right verticals and they have delivered a very good set of numbers because the spending by their customers has remained has increased it's not gone down in fact and then there are companies like coforge and infosys which come to mind which have been very aggressive when it comes to marketing so when it comes to software now do not paint all these companies with the same brush or nuances are coming out differences are coming out and the boys are being separated from the men so we need to be extremely selective goes back to this is a stock picker's market exactly you know, yeah, wow. if you know what to buy then there's definitely growth to be had i think we're giving a lot of names over here on yeah <laughs> okay well let's go uh, let's go to maybe a down sector uh, metals yes metals don't seem to have done very well and i think that's just a cyclical phenomena absolutely i think But it's 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 cyclical and um, you know i've never been a great fan of such commodity companies if you are a industry insider and you know precisely the point of time when the industry is going to turn prices are going to go up volumes are going to go up then maybe you have a edge in terms of investing in these commodity companies but otherwise as uh, ordinary investors man on the street we don't have an edge when it comes to investing plus in i think companies. because as such capital intensive industries there I, th- I think it's very unlikely that they deploy new capital at a time when interest rates are so high. That's true. I think banks, uh, financial institutions will be a bit cagey uh, to lend at this point of time, yeah. and that certainly I think is going to be more and more pronounced in a industry like cement. Like uh, we can talk about cement for a minute or two, where Adani Group has acquired ACC and Ambuja, and they have said they want to double the capacity. now because they have come in so aggressively to increase their capacity every cement company also wants to 
increase their capacity by 50 to 70, 100% just to maintain their market share. So what we have is uh, each company massively expanding capacity. And when you expand such a large capacity in such a short period of time, there could be a glut. There's, there, yeah, there's, I think there's going to be a glut there. And they, it's visible. They are not able to pass on the cost increases. Like, for example, you said that energy costs have gone up. And that's a big component for cement companies. Yeah. But they haven't been able to pass on the cost increases last two, three quarters or so. So entire commodity space, whether it's metals, cement, uh, aluminium, I think across the board, I'd be extremely uh, cautious. I guess to maybe <clears throat> counter that, right? Okay, metals maybe not great, cement maybe not great. But how have uh, our oil marketing companies and petrochemical companies, exploration companies, how's that sector done? Because, you know, we've had this whole roller coaster ride of uh, energy prices. Yeah. And, uh, you know, after everything said and done on the next three to five years at least, you'd expect for energy prices to stay quite high. So, and I think a couple of companies have produced some really great results as well. So, any interest in that space? Yeah, I think Reliance came with a good set of numbers, especially their oil to chemicals division. Uh, they had decent refining margins and good cracker margins as well. And I think we are seeing the first signs of even the oil marketing companies. I think from next quarter on, they should report good numbers because they thrive when oil prices are low because they don't have to bear the subsidy. But I think um, there's just too much of volatility in the earnings of these companies. So I would prefer to go for some of the more steady performers. Uh, I think investors have made a lot of uh, value, earned a lot of high returns in the consumer-oriented sectors. And India is consumer, consumers in Before we move off of... Uh before we move off of, I guess, commodities, interesting piece of news to share. I don't know if you saw, but uh, some of the largest lithium reserves in the world are now yes. found in Kashmir. Wow. Kashmir. I was just smiling yeah. <laughs> for a minute after I read that news. So, you know, in my entire lifetime, I have always struggled with uh, oil import. It's something which has really uh, been a big bugbear for our economy and the country. And as we move towards more and more electrification, if we have the lithium. You know, and, and before these reserves were discovered, our entire EV supply chain was still at risk. It was that same yes. problem where, you know, the, the core material that we need as an input for our industries had Coming to be from outside, yeah. But instead, now we have, you know, these reserves. If we exploit them properly, if we develop them properly, they're not insignificant. They're fairly large. I think 5.9... Uh, 5.7 million. 5.7 million metric tons. Is, is great. It's, you know, that, that entire EV supply chain can be fully in-house. Then Maybe this is really the decade of India. Oh, don't say things like that. Don't, don't, uh, this is the thing. We can't jinx it. We can't no. jinx it. Absolutely. Right. So, shall, let's move to consumer-oriented sectors. consumer sectors. Then. So, when it comes to consumers, the, the of course, the big uh, sub-segment in that is FMCG. But within FMCG, Varun, I think a lot of seg segments have become very mature. So therefore, across the board in FMCG, we are seeing whether it's soaps, detergents, shampoos, cosmetics, uh, the typical household uh, household uh, uh, cleaning, uh, fabric cleaning, all those categories have become very mature. The volume growth over there is low single digit to flat. And that clearly, I think, is not very uh, positive for the FMCG companies per se. 
So I'd be a bit circumspect when it comes to FMCG. Why is, why, okay, that's that's confusing me. Why is volume growth low for uh, I guess these consumer staples? Because on one hand, you expect for you know as incomes continue to rise in India, you'd expect for a lot of that marginal increase in income to go into these consumer staples. And even uh, I think in the most recent results, the rural contribution was better, which I guess. Suggesting that because marginal incomes are going, because incomes are going up, marginal incomes are going to be, I guess, deployed in this space. Why is volume growth so low for these consumer staples? See, first of all, I think that uh, these companies were growing based on expansion of distribution. Now I think they have gone kona kona across the country, so that Philip coming from higher distribution is not coming through. Secondly. Uh, there is some linkage between consumption of consumer staples to the population growth and india's population growth also is kind of flattening out 1 to 2% or so and uh, on the whole i am also not able to completely you know put a pin as to why their growth rates have become so flat but that's a reality yeah for example i think uh, i saw statistics recently that the number of there's only only 20% of the indian population brushes their teeth twice a day yeah, but there's nothing new over there <laughs> how are you going to get them how are you going to get the next 10% i think so anyway i think that uh, there are so many exciting trends on consumer spending beyond fmcg i would say the new fmcg that's where i think investors can focus on and those are sectors like retail hospitality healthcare entertainment travel tourism i think to quick service restaurants yeah i think hospitality had a great set of results i think travel in yeah. general is rebounded post absolutely i think uh, you're all traveling more and you could get a seat on the airline you don't get a hotel room uh, yeah. you know at, at the rack rates these days yeah so yeah. boom times for, for travel and tourism from uh, indian hotels absolutely that that i would say is by far the top uh, performer within the hospitality space Uh, huge incomes coming in from food beverages and uh, functions, especially wedding functions. Oh yeah! Oh How many destination God, weddings are happening? Just been unreal. You yeah, open absolutely. Instagram every every second post is a wedding post. You know exactly. So I think Indian hotels came with a fabulous set of numbers. Uh, they have very dynamic new CEO, and clearly he's charting uh, the company's growth into new areas. Very positive on the company per se. So um, Indian hotels, I guess, I have a question with Indian hotels because uh, I was looking at the results a little bit deeper, and there's always this duality where their domestic holdings do quite well, their foreign holdings don't don't perform quite as well. At least they don't see, see the same, you know, return. Um, how big of a drag is that? Do you think that's going to change? Is that just you know? Ready? I think it's contained, and Indian hotels now is more India than overseas, and uh, clearly they are uh, looking at. Uh, trying to grow through partnerships management contracts whereby their capital utilization is lower but most importantly they've got the rooms on the ground and if you want to go to those destinations you don't have a choice and the biggest flip for the results coming from higher revenue per room the rentals which yeah. they charge so that's and, you know I, this is an entirely qualitative factor but Nothing beats that. Absolutely, nothing, nothing beats, that. beats that. It's just never been a better hotel than any Taj property. Absolutely, I, I think that's a. So that's where it's happening. Aviation also is good. I think um, Indigo came with good set of numbers, but stocks are expensive over there, 
and there's emerging competition coming from Air India. Yeah, I think they place the largest order in yeah, history. Absolutely, yeah. something Boeing and Airbus planes is a. It's needed, I think, in this country. We need. We we're gonna have more and more uh, public traveling by air. Um, so many new airports are also coming up. So I think it's a right move on part of Air India, and their fleet also is, has been aging. So a lot of it will be replacement capacity as well. Yeah. No interesting thing. I I, I guess to to think about is that the biggest driver for revenues and valuations for airline companies is traditionally their miles program. So, you know, you, you buy a ticket, you earn miles. They, because of the because of competition with airfares, I don't think that airlines make as much money on pure ticket sales as they do on that that miles bank, uh, particularly with repeat customers. And Air India has you know the best way to spend miles, which is Indian hotels and yeah. Taj. What if they can have a, have a nice program partnership in place? Oh yeah, uh, I think it'll be a winning combination for sure. I think it'll it'll be a winning combination for. Uh, Indian hotels and Taj as well as Air India. Absolutely. Other aspects of the consumer spending, I think, did well. Retail did also pretty decent. Companies like Trent, um, uh, by and large, uh, some of the specialty retail companies like Vedan Fashions, Campus Active, Metro Brands, Aditya Birla Fashion. I think broadly we had decent set of numbers. There were a few disappointments, certainly there. I thought Vmart was a disappointing set of numbers. It's a value retailer focuses more on the rural markets. Maybe that's where they got hit. And uh, another company, of course, is DMART. I think they also came with a slightly soft set of numbers. Maybe some amount of competition coming in from the online players over there and online delivery maybe impacting their revenues per se. But I think it was a good set of uh, steady set of numbers. I for. I have a question with retail and consumer in particular. Uh, I mean, they seem, I guess, very well positioned uh, to capitalize on this story that we have of uneven growth <clears throat> and, and finding right winners because they're, at least to my understanding, low capital businesses with you know good operating yeah, leverage. Yes. So, any winners in this space or any 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 losers in this space as well that you think we should be removed from a portfolio immediately? See, I don't want to get that granular when it comes to stocks, but I thought that the numbers which came from Titan and some of the other jewelry companies was very good. Uh, same holds true for a uh, company like Trend, which came with decent set of numbers. And broadly, I think these specialty retail companies like Vedan Fashion, Go Fashion, Go Colors, um, Metro Brands, Campus Activewear, they were able to sustain their top line. They were able to sustain their profit margins as well. But because they're expanding uh, their retail network uh, at a frenetic pace, we are seeing that their depreciation and interest costs have been inching up. And so that's affected the bottom line per se. But uh, all that spending is going to you know, lead to higher sales going forward. So I would say that many more winners on the retail side than losers. And connected with retail is, of course, entertainment. And so before, before I guess we before we go to entertainment, two two questions. So you mentioned that jewelry companies like Titan have done very well. Um, is that because of this whole wedding season bounce, and do we expect that to I guess dissipate as that pent up pandemic wedding demand goes away, or do you think that's here to stay? No, I think that some amount is coming from the wedding demand, but um, underlying there's a huge trend where. Consumers are shifting away from the unorganized to the organized. 
just because of trust factor. And I think that's what's benefiting the likes of Titan and other uh, other uh, leading jewelry chains per se. Okay. okay. That's interesting. And for, uh, I guess, the other brands that you mentioned, I guess I want to contrast this with like FMCG because you mentioned that with FMCG, they're done with that growth fillet through higher distribution. That's right. I think that's where what's driving growth as far as a lot of retail players are concerned. They are ramping up their store uh, network and they're going into more and more deeper into tier two, tier three. And that's, I think, what's going to drive growth going forward for them. Anyone anyone in particular that's done really well with distribution growth? Well, nothing specific comes to mind. And uh, I think we leave stock specific to our Instagram and uh, Okay. And our uh, Twitter post so that uh, there's always that surprise factor over there. All right. And uh, let's stick to larger industry trends um, in this podcast. All right. So from uh, from uh, retail, let's go quickly to, uh, I would say, entertainment, which is, of course, quick service restaurants, multiplexes. I think those also have done pretty well over there. Uh, you could even add a company like Phoenix, which manages malls. So I think India is having a gala time. <laughs> they are going out more to restaurants and they are spending more on entertainment as well. And these companies also, I think, uh, sectors did pretty much well. Big big development coming on the entertainment side. We have the merger of PVR and Inox. Mm-hmm. And that could be a game changer for the entire multiplex industry. So let's see how that plays out. And then uh, related to that is healthcare. So, you know, before we go on a healthcare, I want to just go back to PVR and Inox very quickly. And uh, I guess ask, because we've spoken previously that what drives growth for these guys is oftentimes new releases by Bollywood and Tollywood. And uh, in a major, major release of Pathan, which is Oh, wow, it's done successful. really well. And before right. that, it was uh, the that English movie, uh, Avatar. Uh, Avatar. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I guess, do we... Do you expect to continue seeing that release, you know? I think pipeline? that Pathan is, is going to be a shot in the arm for the film production industry because they may be scratching their heads why, why films are not being uh, so successful at box office. But I think this is a nice winning combination for them. And I think it will drive more investment into new films. Interestingly, uh, PVR, Inox, Merge Entity wants to look at spending more money on content and on on uh, financing new movies for multiplexes and I think that's the right way forward for them as well. But is that a capital efficient strategy? See, I think uh, in because a way it is to sustain cycle, growth. Yeah, because of the production cycle of movies is fairly long. It's not, you know, uh, quick. You decide to invest in a movie, it'll take three years before it comes to the market. It's, uh, yeah, but they got to start somewhere, no? Because otherwise the content will dry up for them three years hence. And um, I think clearly uh, they are trying to counter more and more of the film production going for OTT type of uh, content. So from their perspective, it is right. And mind you, these are large companies. They're not going to spend a very large percentage of their capital in it. But seeding interesting ideas... Okay which can play out over two, three year period. I think that's a fair strategy. I think that the success of Patana, the box office, if anything, is probably given filmmakers something something to think Absolutely. about. Because I'll bet they made more money doing that than, you know, selling to OTT platforms. That, that just seems logical. And uh, you know, Box office is a huge source of uh, revenue for film producers. Okay. So, 
blue skies ahead then for uh, entertainment companies as well as, uh, as yeah. good news for the but there'll always be cycles within cycles investors need to keep in mind that even the sectors we spoke about the consumer oriented ones the likes of uh, retail uh, entertainment quick service even hospitality for that matter they're going to be cycles within cycles it won't be a straight line okay so speaking of uh, speaking of cycles um Let's talk about pharma. It's been through, you know, a huge cycle of its own, pandemic-driven, obviously. Where do we find ourselves with pharma right now? Again, pharma is like a software. Selective, selective, selective. And certain pharma companies which are focused on the Indian market, they did very well. Alchem and GB Chemicals comes to mind. And then within the larger pharma companies, Sun Pharma, I think uh, they follow a differentiated strategy where they are focusing on specialty products and they were also able to sustain growth. Uh, so was Dr. Reddy because of uh, one specific molecule, Revlimid, I think if I got I it think right. Dr. Reddy had a great quarter. That's because of one specific molecule where they had exclusivity. It's not likely to be repeated uh, over the next, next quarter. March quarter, they may have a spillover effect, but not beyond that. But you know, Varun Pharma is a very complicated sector. And uh, there was a time when it made great value for investors because they were just launching new molecules and there was price stability and you could clearly see earning visibility of 10, 15, 20%. But that's no longer there within the sector. So I'd be a bit cautious on pharma as a whole. And I thought even contract manufacturing companies like DVS Laboratories and Suvan Pharma, uh, Piramal Pharma, they also disappointed. So. There are too many landmines in the pharma sector and I just like to be a bit uh, cautious over there. So I guess that covers almost the entire spectrum yep. of uh, sectors. And uh, as I said, I think uh, selectivity, stock pickers. Stock pickers paradise, right? That's the, that's, that's the way I think um, going forward as well. I have a question, right? Of of all the sectors we've spoken about um, and all the companies we've spoken about, what is your what do you see is the most underrated sector or company to put for investors to put their money into? Wow, that's a tough one. But um, underrated... Um, something that's, you know, flown under the radar, something that maybe people haven't noticed. Chemicals, I think we didn't discuss that, and I'm and we're going to discuss also the new age digital companies. I don't know why we forgot them. We're just sorry, viewers, for just uh, five and more minutes. So, chemicals industry, I think they've been uh, under a lot of pressure last two three quarters or so because of higher cost increases and supply disruptions and China factor as well. But now a lot of the expanded capacities are coming into play. They've been able to pass on cost increases as well. So a lot of the specialty chemical companies are getting their mojo back. And I think that's very positive uh, because there's great scope for chemical companies, this China plus one strategy. And India certainly, like pharma, has an edge when it comes to chemicals. So I think a lot of chemical companies, Aarti Industries, SRF, uh, Vanita Organics, uh, many such companies, Anupam Rasai, and there are at least 30, 40 such large uh, chemical companies, some with very strong niches, global capacities, very strong competitive edge. I think broadly we are seeing uh, a revival of uh, the growth phase over there. That's going to, I think, get gather momentum 
in the uh, March quarter as well. PI Industries agrochemical company came with a spectacular set of numbers. And then last, of course, let's talk about Paytm and yeah, Zomato's the and the yeah. So, you know, Varun, I haven't seen. <laughs> these are we live in interesting times. Uh, these managements are actually listening to their investors. Paytm, Nika, Zomato, PB FinTech, you name it, they're listening to their investors, and their investors are telling them that enough is enough. Please show us the road to profitability. When are you going to break even? Yeah, I think Paytm broke even ahead of schedule as exactly. well. Exactly. And Zomato also in the pure food delivery business seems to have broken even. Of course, they keep on having these adjusted revenues and adjusted profits and adjusted uh, earnings. But uh, nonetheless, uh, they are on the path to profitability, which is really very positive from that, that perspective. And mind you, these stocks haven't uh, corrected in this earning season. They haven't mm -hmm. gone down. Yeah. So that's a very positive sign. And also what is happening is that we are understanding them better. Mm -hmm. These are not typical businesses like cement and, uh, you know, like capital goods banks, which are easy to understand. These are complex businesses to understand as well. Like how Paytm earns its money by itself, you know, you need to dig very deep into their earnings releases and understand. And same is true for Zomato and Nika and PB Fintech as well. So there is a lot of understanding, uh, which is uh, which was missing earlier when they got listed. But now I think investors are finally grappling with what this animal is all about. And my sense is that now at least they should start giving decent returns, not maybe multi-baggers, which I thought they will too, and they may be so five, 10 years into the future. But next two, three years, I think we see them providing decent returns and we'll see them reporting good earnings. And at some point of time, I think an inflection point will come where investors start, uh, you know, again, appreciating their business model, uh, rather re-appreciating <coughs> and, um, you know, value them higher and higher based on price to earnings or price to book or whichever the multiple. Okay. So it seems like uh, having covered off all this, all the major yes. sectors, I guess, at least of the market. We've provided the foundation for an investor to plan his next uh, few months investment strategy, which Sorry. sectors they should look at positively and which other sectors to avoid. It seems like it's blue skies ahead. And uh, stock picker's paradise, right? That's the yes. that seems to be the key takeaway. Absolutely. And uh, maybe next podcast, uh, you know, we may discuss um, in this. Let's take the stock picker's uh, theme forward, and let's talk about what investors should look for in companies. You know, what is the common thread? Okay. Uh, and um, if you're going to uh, and look at picking stocks, then what should you be looking at into stock when you want to pick them? Okay. Well, I think uh, that gives people a reason to tune in next time. All right. And uh, yeah, I think that's all we have for today. Okay. Great talking to you, Varun. Look forward to the next one. All right. Fantastic.